So we've been working through the book of Exodus. Uh, we've been systematically working through the book of Exodus, and me and Jeff got together and tried to think through, uh, while he's gone, what, what should we do? Should we plug away, or should we give you a break? And we decided we'll give you a break in case uh, you, you wanted to hear something different. Uh, and, uh, but we didn't want to just pick a random text, just say, well, let, let's go with that one. Uh, <laughs> as most of us are prone to do as we, 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 what book should I read today? Um, but we're actually going to look at the New Testament's commentary on the, the, the book of Exodus. The New Testament's commentary on the life of Moses and his ministry. And so we kind of get to step back and see another angle. And it's very interesting to do so because uh, the book of Exodus is written uh, as a kind of a, a history book. And you're just seeing events and God interprets them throughout it a little bit. But the New Testament really interprets it. And so it's not left up to us to just go, God's not just saying, well, what do you think it means? <laughs> He's actually saying, no, here's what uh, Moses' ministry is and what it means. And so with that in mind, God is going to speak through the, uh, the writer Paul as he commentates and interprets uh, the ministry of Moses. And so please stand with me for the reading of God's word. I apologize stepping in for Jeff, but he agreed to do this before losing his voice at the OU Baylor game on Thursday night. So, um, so, so I'll, I'll stand in here. Um, our, our reading is from uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 11. Uh, we start in the middle of the sentence, so just so we know who the who refers to, it's, it's, it is God here. So, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if... What was being brought to an end came with glory. Much more will what is permanent have glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Father, we ask that you would show us your surpassing glory this morning. May we uh, not just hear of it and be informed, but that we would be transformed this morning. Lord, would, we ask that you would uh, mark us as the way you've marked Moses, that he did not leave unchanged after engaging in your presence. And so, Lord, I ask that you would leave an everlasting mark uh, and give us your life-giving grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a, I don't know, a few weeks ago, a months ago, uh, I also am over the youth ministry, and we've decided to just have random videos uh, to... And they have no real, no real reason. They don't, they don't inform and tell things of what's going on. We've decided to have these, these videos called Slim's Corner. Uh, and I actually, we, we started out hiding them on, on, the, on the website because we didn't want people to see them. I didn't want people to see them because uh, they're very embarrassing. Uh, it's just like me doing homemade videos of like, here's how to make a homemade snow globe uh, out of just random household items. And then the recent one was how to make a, a homemade Halloween costume uh, out of just the random household items. And very embarrassing video. It's, I can't tell you, just like, oh, go on and see it. No, don't go watch it right now. But you probably could. Um, 
So at first, I was really, I was really embarrassed, but we decided, let's just go to put it out there. And, I, and then I thought, I hope no one ever sees these videos, at least no adult ever sees these videos, because then they will never listen, be able to listen to me preach a sermon again. They'll just be like, wow, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> he loses all respect. Um, but then I went home to, to Houston, or to my parents' home to Houston this past weekend, and then my mom critiques the video. <laughs> Ryan, you really shouldn't be doing that. You, that's really embarrassing. What is that, why, why is that even funny? Uh, <laughs> why would you do that? And then my dad starts critiquing it too, and I find out later he hasn't even seen the video. <laughs> like, you can't critique it. No. He's like, well, your mom said so. And I was like, no, 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 no. But I felt like I just got, I mean, I'm an adult now, right? <laughs> I think. Um, although it doesn't look like it if you watch that video. Um, I just felt like I got put back into like junior high form, and they're saying, you know, you shouldn't really be doing that. <laughs> And what does that make me want to do? I instantly start thinking, what should my next Slim's Corner video be? Hmm. <laughs> How can I make this the most ridiculous thing in the world? Over the top. They're like, well, no church will ever hire you after seeing that video. I'm like, I'm happy. I'm out of church. Well, you may lose your job. I hope they're not watching this. I apologize, Mom and Dad. Um, <laughs> I have parent issues. Um, <laughs> what this is hammering is that the law in our society, the law in our society uh, it, it gives us a, a double. It gives us a double portion. It says, "Here is perfection. Here is perfection." But it does the opposite. It actually stimulates the thing that you don't want to have happen. Uh, it calls for perfection, but it stimulates rebellion. It creates the very thing that we want that it wants to control. And so, he, Paul says here in verse six, "The letter kills. The letter kills and condemns you, but the Holy Spirit's work." is a remedy to that poison. And so, well, as we enter the book of 2 Corinthians, we're, we're jumping in from, from no context. I apologize. We're not going through this book. We wanted to give you kind of a change-up. Um, we need to go through a little bit of a background to, to 2 Corinthians. So we're going to look at, just if you're those that like to have a map out of the sermon, we're going to get a little bit of a background, and then we're going to work through basically verse 6. Verse 6 is kind of like the thesis that that gets played out through the rest of it. And so we're going to look at the background. Then we're going to see that the law kills, but the spirit gives life. Background, murderous law, murderous letters, <laughs> spirit gives life. That's where we're going. The church of Corinth, not an easy place to do ministry. The church of Corinth was very much like, like modern day uh, Las Vegas or like New York City. Um, it, it's filled with I mean, any city. It's filled with sexual immorality. It's filled with uh, individualism, religious plurality, pride, greed. Uh, the, the struggle with the church is, is trying to figure out, how, how do I do ministry in this area? How do, I, how, do I, how do I engage the culture without being subsumed or consumed into the culture? How, how do I not lose our distinctives? Uh, and so uh, they're doing ministry in one of the greatest cities in the Roman Empire, and the greatest city of the Roman Empire, uh, arguably, their motto would be, anything goes. And so how do I, how do, I do ministry there? What, what is the thing that that culture needs most? And you might be thinking, well, he's writing this letter, this, uh, this second letter. It's probably his third, but we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> he's writing this letter to this church, and, he, and you think he'd be worried, oh, they're about to go off the deep end. They're about to become like a brave new world type thing. That the church is just going to really indulge in immorality, uh, Mad Max or like <laughs> Corinthians gone wild type thing. <laughs> You're really worried about what's going to happen with the immorality of the church. But what he's concerned about most is that they are 
going to fragment and corrupt the gospel. That's his main concern here. And so he decides, it's about time I defend and distinguish the gospel from law. And so now when we get into the verse 6, I said it's the thesis of this. Let's read it real quick. Uh, we, we need to kind of figure out, is there any terms in there we don't understand? Verse 6, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. That term new covenant, or covenant in general, is not a term we use too often in our everyday uh, conversations. You hear it probably at church. But how do, how do, how do, what do we do with that word? It, it, what does it mean? Uh, a covenant, it, it, it's a promise. It's a bond. It's more than a promise. It's more than a bond. It, it's a legal document. Uh, but even more than a legal document, what distinguishes a, a covenant from just like a mortgage um, that I promise to pay that mortgage or I promise to, uh, to do this, uh, to pay rent. Uh, what distinguishes it is one, that it's, it's, a, it's signed in blood. Uh, so thankfully we don't have to sign our mortgages in blood. But two, it's also an asymmetrical relationship. It's a uh, one-sided affair. And so it's not just like two equal parties coming in together and uh, if one party doesn't uphold their end, uh, then they get the penalties, they get, they get fees for, for not paying on time or whatnot. It's an asymmetrical relationship in the sense that the person who creates the covenant, even if this party doesn't keep up their end, the penalties get levied on the creator. It's, very, it's a very odd relationship that we see in Scripture, but it's God's covenant. And the closest thing we have to a covenant here and we can think about is a marriage. God, God applies the, the, the marriage as a, as a covenant vow. But again, that's not made in blood and nor is it really asymmetrical. But you can think of it that way in that, I vow to love you, and I said this in the first service, and I say this probably all the time if you ever do premarital counseling. Um, <laughs> I hate when, when I watch on TV and people write their own vows, and they're like, oh, this is going to be really sentimental. And their vow is, you're just so pretty, and you're just so, you're just, you're just awesome, you know? <laughs> That's not a vow. A vow is, I promise to love you through thick and thin. It's, hey, you vowed nothing. You've just said what, you're describing them. You're defining them. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, a vow is saying, I, 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 I vow to love you through thick and thin, through, sick, through sickness and in health, um, through whatever. Now, even if you are the, the, you know, a selfish jerk, I will love you, despite, what, despite how that affects me. And so, that's a, a, an image of that. Kristen would never say that about me because I'm a very selfless, not jerk. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the picture of selflessness. Um, <laughs> We first hear this, this term, new covenant, uh, in Jeremiah 31. And he, when, when God uses that term in Jeremiah 31, he says he's contrasting the old covenant with the new covenant. And the old covenant he's talking about is Moses' covenant with the new covenant. And he says the old covenant was written on these tablet tones. Or these tablet tones. What? Never heard of such a thing. On these stone tablets. I'll say it again. These stone tablets, which would be what the... Ten Commandments. You guys are so good. Uh, he's, he's saying the Old Covenant was written on these stone tablets, the, the Ten Commandments, and the New Covenant is now written on our hearts, on the flesh of people. And that's the, that's the big contrast here. And so for Paul, he's defending his ministry as being one of a new covenant. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And the contrast is amazing. The letter, it's the same thing Jeremiah is talking about, is those Ten Commandments. Because he says in verse 7, uh, they're carved on stone tablets. The Ten Commandments, which we've yet to get to in our sermon series, so this is a little bit of a preview. 
in, in the book of Exodus. Uh, but he's saying that the Ten Commandments, the law, they kill. What? Could you say that about my precious Ten Commandments? <laughs> the ministry of the Ten Commandments, the ministry of Moses is one of condemnation and death. That true? Do we see that truth everywhere in life? Anytime something is written down, anytime a law goes out that it's a ministry of death and condemnation, anytime, whenever, wherever, whoever, for whatever reason, you write something down, it's an attack. It kills. If you're saying, This is what I expect of you, it's an attack on that person. It's saying, You are wrong if you don't do this. You're committing treason. You don't measure up. Paul Zoll um, talks about, it says, the, the law, which is any form of external command, provokes the opposite reaction, which we've said, for the one is intended to provoke. Instead of inciting obedience or submission, it incites rebellion. And so the imperatives produce their opposite reactions. They get, they get angry reactions. Um, so if someone tells you to do something, you want to do the opposite. You see this all the time. You, you've probably done this when you were a kid. Don't touch the stove. I've got to touch the stove. i got to touch the stove. i got to touch the stove. Why can't I touch the stove? <laughs> oh, don't touch that iron. I've had that iron on my hand before. That hurts. But I don't know why I'm not allowed to do that. Don't drink. What's so mysterious about beer? Why can't I have that? <laughs> don't smoke. Well, now I have to smoke. <laughs> Anytime someone says don't do it, you now instinctively want to do it. I tell Knox, and he was a living proof of this just last, last night. Stop throwing the football. Stop throwing the football. <laughs> Stop saying bad words. He says a bad word. <laughs> so does the law ever accomplish what we want it to accomplish? No. The law has been created. The law has been created, and it produces the opposite reaction every time. It invites illegality. It, in, it incites. And so if I believe that 30 miles per hour on Ritchie Road is absurd, and I believe that 45 miles per hour is completely reasonable, all of a sudden, I start resenting the lawmakers, and I start thinking, wow, they are so greedy. They just want to have cops out there and, and pull people over all the time to, to pay their inflated budgets. And so I know, because I'm a real believer and a real, real true Christian, and I, I should probably set a new standard of 45. And just to be sure, just to make sure people see how good of a Christian I am and my speed righteousness, I'll go 50 just to make sure they, they see, give them a buffer room. Here's a good example of the speed to go. Kristen doesn't like this when I do this. <laughs> but as soon as I see that cop on that road, I immediately slow down. I've obeyed the law. I haven't gotten penalized. I haven't got a ticket, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> is my heart in it? Has the law accomplished what it was intended to accomplish? Some of you guys are like, well, yeah, I, I obey the law all the time. I never speed. That's not me. Um, <laughs> the law can tell me what to do, but it can't produce the power to accomplish it, is the, is the thrust of all this. If a law is written down, it's, by its nature, it's external. It wants to measure the external response. 30 miles per hour can only measure whether or not I get caught going 30, not whether I believe in the law that it's actually there to protect people. It doesn't measure whether I believe that's actually a good thing. It kills and condemns us because it now incites us to, to cross that boundary. <laughs> Bob, where are you? <laughs> Every time I pull into the church parking lot and I see that sign, stay off the grass, I want to drive on the grass. <laughs> I, 
I never feel like I should drive on the grass, but I want to drive on that grass. I want to do donuts on that grass. <laughs> we got to take that down. We, we just do. But now for me telling you we have to do this, you're instinctively saying, we don't need to do this. You're offending me. You're, you're condemning me. <laughs> it, it's producing the exact opposite of what I wanted to have happen. Thank you for approving that, Bob. Um, <laughs> if it's written down, the law is a ministry of death. It's a ministry of death. It, it forces us to want to cross that boundary. It has its reverse effect. If you get a prenup, the marriage will end in divorce. If I write down all my expectations I, uh, of Kristen, I say, Kristen, we're going to go on a date. We're going to this restaurant. I want you to wear this. I want you to laugh at all my jokes overly, uh, spontaneously, just so I know that you're not just doing this out of, because I'm making you do it. And then I want at the end of the night for us to have five minutes of smooching. Um, <laughs> sign the contract here, initial here. Is any of that going to happen? No. <laughs> if I write it down, it kills the relationship. The law kills that relationship. <laughs> it produces the opposite. It stimulates rebellion. And I was at a church five years ago uh, in North Carolina, and this church was hammering this drum over and over and over again. They were hammering the, the gospel over and over and over again. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> Can't we, can't we move past Jesus? Uh, I, I, I was in seminary, and so I started to think I actually knew, th- knew things. And I went up to one of our pastors, and I very smugly and I, I very, very terribly, I went up to him and I was like, do we believe in the three uses of the law? Hmm? <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't slap me right there. Um, <laughs> and what I was really asking is, do we believe in the third use? And some of you are thinking, I have no clue what you're talking about. But the first use of the law, the first use is, is something that all religions actually believe, in, in a sense. All religions believe that there's got to be some type of laws or rules out there that say, this, th- this is how we keep order. It keeps the world from being chaos. It actually also tells you a little bit of something about the creator, that uh, he, he cares about humans, that since for us, you shall not murder. Um, the fact that he has that, apparently he wants us to, he cares about us. Uh, the second use is the one that we're going to hammer, hammer, hammer today, uh, and that's that the law is a, a mirror of my sin. I look at it and I see how sinful I am. But the third use, the one I was really asking him to, to answer, uh, the one I was saying is, it's how should we now live? I wanted to hear, okay, I've got Jesus, but now, now what do we do? I wanted application. I wanted a to-do list. I was saying, come on, come on, I need something more. I need something more. And Paul says, Paul's talking about this being a ministry of death, but it makes you wonder, is Paul against the Ten Commandments? Does he, do he, does he think they are bad? No. He says in 1 Timothy that the law is good, but what he's doing here is he's saying it's, it's completely deprived of any power to accomplish what we think we want to accomplish. The law does not accomplish what we want to accomplish. And so when I'm asking that pastor, do we believe in the three uses of the law? I wanted to have this right path. I wanted to grow. I wanted to see some growth. Some of you guys may be thinking that. I, I want to grow. I want to be different. But what, you, what we're asking, though, is saying, I want, the, I want to find life in the law. I want, the, I want some to, neat to-do list to help me grow. And if my, that pastor would have given that to me, Paul tells me that that would have been a ministry of death and condemnation because I would have not been able to live up to it. And so what we see here is that Paul is saying in our passage that the law's primary use is death. It stabs and slaughters any form of self-righteousness that I'm clinging to. Uh, 
Say what you will about idealistic intent. The ultimate design of the law is to show me that I don't measure up. It's an attack. It's always heard as an attack. Just like if someone ever asks you, hey, let's meet. We need to meet. I have to have, we, have, we, we got to have a conversation. Anytime someone says that, your radar goes up. What are we talking about? Hey, we need, to, we need to meet. And if they start the conversation this way, I'm only saying this because I love you. Oh, boy. Or because scripture says, let's speak truth and love. I've been really thinking I need to say these things to you. Whatever comes next, whatever comes next is a warning, warning, warning. You're a terrible person. That's all I'm hearing. Warning, warning. You, Jesus doesn't love you. That's all I hear. Because I hear it as an attack. The relationship hasn't been built yet. The law always comes across as an attack, and it's everywhere. It's in every uncomfortable interaction with family members. It's in every husband's uh, helpful comment to his wife. Uh, It's in every uh, speaking truth and love moment. It's in every college application. It's in every grad student application. It's in every uh, end-of-the-year review. It's in every tenure, what do you call that, process When someone has the ability to have your life in their hands and to judge you, it's an attack saying, let me weigh you and see if you're worthy. I found you. I've weighed you. You're not worthy. As an attack, attack on your personality, on your being, saying you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not par. We have all forms of different righteousness. We have all forms of different righteousness that get attacked. We have, speaking of par, we have golf righteousness. Why is par so low? That attacks my golf righteousness all the time. It attacks my athletic righteousness. It, it's athletic righteousness, I, I get attacked that in that regard uh, in high school. It, when in, who, 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 you guys have done wrestling before? Have you seen res, wrestling? Jeff and uh, Pete were wrestlers. The uni suit in wrestling is an attack on every fat kid. <laughs> no way will I put myself in that. <laughs> That's terrible. That's an attack on me. And then number two, if you lose, everyone sees that you were the one that lost. Not if you're in the team, though. In the team, it's the team that lost. That was an attack on me and my athletic righteousness. <laughs> the law breeds death. And so any and all human origins, the law is this clash uh, that someone is judging me. Uh, and it's saying, you can't do it. John Locke not the actual John Locke, the, the, act, the, the, the character I lost when he was ever told, uh, you can't do something. What is his re- response? No one tells me what I can't do. <laughs> Though I'm in a wheelchair, I'm going to go on a walkabout in Australia. And no one can tell me. It's inciting rebellion. The letter kills. That's all I'm hammering right now. But the spirit gives life. Let's read verses 9 through 11. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceeded in glory. Indeed, in this case, when once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Paul is using this literary device of arguing from lesser to greater, and he's comparing the glory of the old covenant with the glory of the new covenant. He's not saying that the old covenant is bad, but he's saying with, in comparison to the new covenant, why go back? One great commentator said, when the sun rises, lamps cease to be of use. When the sun is risen and it's not cloudy and we don't have these shades on these windows and it's beaming through, why waste our electricity? You have something far greater. You have something far greater there. And so the 
you can think of the glory of God. That, and he, he uses that term over and over and over. About 10 times here, he overuses it. Uh, he, he says the glory of God, or I would say, it's, it's kind of like looking at the sun. It's so glorious. It's so majestic. If you stare at it, you're going to get blinded, right? Just staring at the sun all day, you're, you're going to go blind. When Moses actually encountered God to get these, these 10 commandments, he had to hide him so that he wouldn't get blinded, that he wouldn't get killed. And even though he was, he was covered and hidden from God's, he was veiled from God's presence, the fact that he was even near it when Moses came down from the mountain to be with the people, he himself started to, to have that glory rubbed off on him that his face had to be veiled. That's how majestic and glorious God is to be in his presence. All of a sudden, now you're, you're blinding people when you're in the presence of God. <laughs> he becomes radioactive. And this, this word glory, it's, it's an interesting word. The literal meaning of the word glory is weightiness. It's heaviness uh, of substance. Uh, makes me think of donuts. Uh, Everything makes me think of donuts. So, <laughs> back at, when I was in high school, Krispy Kreme came, uh, was coming to Houston, and the whole city was buzzing about Krispy Kreme. <gasps> Ooh, have you heard of Krispy Kreme? Ooh, when that light goes on, the hot now light in the mornings and in the evenings, you go and get those, you say, give me a dozen hot, those little glazed donuts, you put them in your mouth, and it just disintegrates. The donut, you don't even have to chew. <laughs> That's the new marketing slogan. You can eat it like a duck. It's so good. I don't know why. Um, but they soon realized, Houston soon realized, the same thing I think Waco realized. Krispy Kreme tried to start here, right? And it lasted how long? Like a week? <laughs> you guys really are prideful on your donuts. They soon realized that in comparison to Shipley's or Jack and Jill's or whatever donut uh, place that you love or homemade donuts, the Krispy Kreme ones are just way too light. They're these paper-thin morsels. You can eat a dozen of them yourself and not be full. But Shipley's, <laughs> you eat one. <laughs> You're already feeling guilty. <laughs> Paul argues the same thing about donuts. No, he's arguing the same thing, that the old covenant had, had glory. It was tasty. But the new covenant is so much more glorious. Why would you ever go back? Why would you go to Krispy Kreme? You have Shipley's. Why be beaten down? I, I hope I get paid by them for this commercial. Why be beaten down and condemned when you taste the weightiness of the heaviness of the spirit there? Why, why go back? Augustine said, we do wrong to the Old Testament if we deny that it comes from the same just and good God as the new. But on the other hand, we do wrong to the New Testament if we put the old on level with it. The one is a step to glory. The other is the summit of glory. One, the Old Testament, is a step to glory. The other, the New Testament, is, is the summit, the pinnacle of glory. To say another way, the second best is always the worst enemy of the first. The second best is always the worst enemy of the best. Good always gets in the way of great. And so why, why is the new so much better? Why is it the summit of glory? Think about it. In the Old Testament, uh, we're in Exodus, and where people had to, if they ever wanted to talk to God, they had to, they had to go to this pillar of cloud and smoke uh, or fire. That's how I see God. That's where his presence was localized. Uh, and if I ever wanted to talk to him, actually Moses was the, was the one who could only request a meeting. And even when Moses had to request a meeting, he had to be veiled from God. 
<laughs> I mean, there's this helpful little slogan that we as pastors use sometimes to figure out what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is glory concealed. The New Testament is glory revealed. The Old Testament is the glory of God concealed. It's there. You, you just got to kind of mine it. <laughs> you got to look and, and, and dive in the depths of it. The New Testament is so much clearer. It's the glory of God revealed. It, it's, it's, it's much clearer. The Old Testament has God's law written on tablets, this external command. But the New Covenant, this new ministry of the Holy Spirit is writing God's law on our hearts. It's that much better. The old way of doing things says your salvation is in question. The new way says your salvation is accomplished. Look at what Jesus has done. What Paul is saying here is that the Holy Spirit is not just giving you uh, access to God. You had the glory of God in the temple or you had the glory of God in these pillars or in the burning bush confined to those areas. But now in the New Testament, the glory of God is he's giving you this deposit, the Holy Spirit rests in every one of us. When you become a believer, God gives you that deposit and so that the glory, the majesty of God decides to dwell in you. And so what Paul is arguing is that there's something more sacred than what goes on at Mount Sinai. God dwells with you in a way that Moses would have dreamed of. Moses would be jealous to be able to have that access to God that you and I have. The law that he got, while, while great, it's a set of expectation and rules, but it can't create that relationship. And God gives us the Holy Spirit and says, I want a relationship with you. It creates the relationship. Francis Schaeffer, uh, would, would, he would distinguish the ministry of condemnation with the ministry of the Spirit this way. He would say, as you're walking down your street at home, uh, wherever you live or on campus or, or wherever it may be, uh, you may have seen that mangy old dog that, that, that runs around your neighborhood that you're thinking, why doesn't anyone give it a bath or take it somewhere else? Um, <laughs> and you're walking down the street and that mangy old dog jumps up and puts his paws all over you and gets you all slimy and dirty and you're not sure what's on you. <laughs> and Francis Schaefer would say, that mangy old dog is, is the, the ministry of condemnation. And the ministry of the Spirit is, to say, is, is God putting himself in you and to be able to say to that dog, you have no right to put your slimy paws all over me. You have no right to condemn me anymore because of the righteousness of Christ given to me. God dwells with me in such a way and he says that I'm holy and spotless now. Get down. The Holy Spirit's ministry is him abiding in you and dwelling in you in such a way. He says, no matter what, I will abide in you. And I will, tra- I will change you to ever greater shades of glory from this point on. And so here's the difference. If God related us, related to us the way he did in the Old Testament and gives us these standards, we would never want to come to him. Never, ever, ever, ever want to come to him. But because he relates to us in this way and he says, I'm giving you undeserved love, I'm deciding to create a relationship with you, not based upon you. That's based upon me and my love, love that has nothing to do with you. Then we have this relationship. It's hard to see that love in this world. It's hard to see that kind of love in this world because all of the love that we see is usually tainted with law. Every type of love that we, we, we experience or interaction or relationships, it's always tainted with law. We, 
we can talk about it here, and I think someone else, I think Bob said, instantly as we walk out those doors, we're already, we're already tainting uh, these relationships with the law. We're, we're, we're oppressing people with law. The world always gives these strings attached. Think of like if you uh, ever get a compliment, someone says, hey, you look nice, but you feel like they want you to respond back and tell them how nice they look. <laughs> you, you don't really feel loved right now. You feel manipulated. There's strings attached. There's, there's a law to it. Um, or do you ever fret over the wording of an email? Of, of oh, oh gosh, I, I said this wrong. Oh, I, I got to make sure I say it this way and not offend this person that way. It's certain the person you're writing that email to is a figure of law in your life. The worry of is the relationship at stake? Is the relationship at stake? That, 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 that would be a, a great way to find out, is this person a figure of law or of grace in my life? Is the relationship at stake? Can I say anything to them? Verse 11 says, for what is being brought to an end came with glory. Much more will what is permanent have glory. Well, what is, what is ending there? Is he saying that he wants to do away with the Ten Commandments? No. He's saying what is ending there is that fear of losing the relationship. It's that fear of losing the relationship that it's, it's gone now. And what he's saying is this new covenant is so much more glorious that you can say anything. You can literally say anything. You, you can be the 1980s film or whatever year it was and hold the boombox over your head and say anything to God because the relationship isn't at stake. Because of the sins I've committed and the fact that I'm a sinner, I wonder, is my relationship at stake? Because of the specific things I've done and because of my being, I'm just known, I, I know I'll sin again and again and again. Not just what I've done, but what I, I know I'm going to do. Is the relationship at stake? There's this great movie. This will be last illustration. There's this great movie in 1995. Uh, it's a Canadian movie. I don't know if any of our Canadians know of it. called The Conversion. We have a few in this congregation, oddly. Uh, they're all flocking to Texas. <laughs> Okay. Uh, <laughs> in this movie, they have this character named Henry Marshall. And Henry Marshall goes into an office Christmas party and he shoots three people. Uh, he, he was imprisoned, wrongly imprisoned for a white collar crime that his boss actually committed. And so he comes back and he's angry and he shoots three people and he gets away. And he, he, he flees to this inn. Uh, and he's, he, in, in the mix of all that, he, there was an altercation and he, he got a, a, a wound and so he's nursing a, a, a bullet wound. And while there, while he's, while he's bitter and bleeding, uh, out of nowhere, uh, he meets a man named Lucas who comes to the inn uh, and oddly starts to know a lot about Henry. And he, he starts showing him compassion and, and, and starts loving him and hearing his story and tries to tell him to uh, give him forgiveness and tries to show him the roots of that compassion uh, but out of nowhere, Henry notices all of a sudden that the wound that he's nursing all of a sudden is gone. He's, he's looking at himself wondering, what happened? And the man he just meet, met, Lucas, all of a sudden has that wound on him now. And then he realizes that his identity has just switched with this man. So Henry now is Lucas, and Lucas is now Henry. So the, the villain is now I mean, what would appear to be the villain shooting three people and getting away with it is now clean and spotless and, and without, without pain. 
And this guy who's showing him compassion now has this wound and he gets arrested and goes to prison. And it, had, it caused this huge stir amongst critics saying, wait a second, how is that a good ending to a movie? <laughs> how, how could you give forgiveness to a murderer? Can forgiveness and, 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 and hope be held out to the villain? I hope so. I hope so because I'm the villain. Can it be held out to me? If you know my past, can, can God switch places with me and, and take all my foulness, all my filth, all, all my stain and put it on him and take it to the cross and die and give me his record so that he is now done. He's completed the Ten Commandments. The law is completely completed. I've done it because Jesus has done it. I have, I, we've switched places. There is one who will take all that away for you. What does this all mean? It means stop turning on lights in the middle of the day. It means eat, not, not eating Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, no, it means see the more glorious ministry. See the better covenant that you don't let guilt condemn you and weigh you down without seeing how spotless and loved you are, that you can tell that mangy old dog to get down. And so if you've been around the Christian block for a while, if you've been in the church for a while, uh, for you, see, see how Jesus' ministry, the Spirit's ministry, completely upstages Moses. We love Moses. We're going through Exodus. We love it. But see how the new ministry completely upstages it and is so much better than it. Ultimately, that you have access with the Father right now. But if you've never come to God before, if you're still kind of just investigating. He's made it possible for you to take on a new identity, to switch places like that movie, The Conversion, to take your pain, to take your filth, to go to prison and hell for you, so that you get to have life and surpassing glory in heaven. Let me pray. Father, give us that, give us all that surpassing glory. And we ask that you would shake up our world in such a way uh, to see that you've completed all that we've needed in the Ten Commandments, that the law will no longer uh, shout condemnation, but it would point us to what you've done. When we see the law, we say, yeah, Jesus has done that. Your record is ours, and we no longer stand ashamed at who we are, but we're enlivened at who you are. Fix our eyes on your work this morning. And Lord, as we continue in our service, Lord, I ask that you would bless uh, the work of this church through our tithes and offerings, that this would be a continuation of worship, uh, that this would not feel uh, to, to give out of guilt. We are far from that. But uh, as an expression uh, of a new heart that's being changed, uh, that has taken the grips off of this world, uh, and to give freely uh, to your gospel purpose. And Lord, that we would be able to, to feast upon you in another way and uh, assault our other senses uh, with uh, touch, taste, and smell as we come to the Lord's table. Lord, would you bless uh, this time now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>